Hey, you're listening to Celebrate Sounds, a podcast celebrating the endeavours of creatives on the north coast of New South Wales. Today's guest is Pablo Blitzer, a multi-instrumentalist, performer and composer who uh, joined me on the phone because we can't do chats in person at the moment. Uh, we had an awesome chat, so I hope you enjoy. Also wanted to take this opportunity to shout out to the sponsors of the podcast, even though we're not advertising, there's no gig guide at the moment, um, but just want to reiterate my thanks and appreciation for their support. So Local Build Co, Henry Gale Tiling, Liberty Providors in Yurunga, the Ocean View Hotel in Yurunga, the pub with no beer in Taylor's Arm, Tish Farker in Bellingen, Sourced Salvage Studio in Bellingen, Surf Street Cafe in Emerald Beach, the Coast Hotel Coffs Harbour, Element Bar Coffs Harbour, Dark Arts Bar Coffs Harbour, Red Sea Events Coffs Harbour, and Scott's Hub in Scott's Head. Couldn't do this without you guys, so super appreciate it. Hopefully we're back to advertising gigs and uh, performing and playing sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, that's it from me. Enjoy the show. Hey, you're listening to Celebrate Sounds. We have, uh, not in the studio today, but on on the line, on the interwebs, internets, Mr. Pablo Blitzer um, coming in hot from Yurunga up up to a cell tower and then back down to a cell tower close to you. How are you, Pab? <laughs> Good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for doing this, man. It's it's one of those things that, that like, in in normal times, you're so busy and so hard to um <laughs> to track down, and uh, we just have this lockdown situation where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to pin Pab down, and we're going to lock it in and do an interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. It's like it could be a blessing in disguise sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly there are those things that happen when. Um, it's a, a bit of a crappy situation for a lot of people at the moment, having to be locked down and working from home or not working at all. Um, but there are always some silver linings. Um, before we get into Definitely. COVID and all that kind of stuff, this podcast is all about celebrating the stories of uh, creatives on the North Coast and, and particularly people who are sort of performing musicians mostly. I've had a couple of photographers in and I'm trying to expand my horizons with artists on the North Coast. But just give us a little bit of a um, sense of who you are, um, sort of your your upbringing, where you're from, and just sort of touch on um, your first maybe your first few musical memories and how you kind of knew that you wanted to be um, a musician? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I grew up in, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is uh, the capital of uh, Argentina. And uh, it's a very big city. I, I come from a family where, like, no one really was a musician, but my my dad was an artist, and I was always um, surrounded by a lot of um, artists and musicians as well. Um, and my my especially my dad, but my my parents were quite big music fans, so I was always sort of listening to music. But um, but yeah, I didn't have uh, no one in, in my you know immediate family that actually. Uh, played music right um but i guess i honestly i cannot remember exactly when my when the first sort of spark started with the music i remember i got this uh, harmonica when i was four years old and i used to walk around the house just uh, playing it from top to bottom and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and backwards you know like just doing that that, that sort of uh, sound and just yeah, I could do that for hours. And 
<laughs> that's my first sort of musical memory to that's, be honest that's and a then, great one because a lot of um a lot of kids get exposed to the wrong wind <laughs> instrument when they're young um you know harmonic is great because you can play it and listen to it and you, you don't have to play it well for it to sound okay but if it was something like a, a recorder or or something oh. like or a violin when when you're really young that, violin that, that, that takes me to an, another musical memory which is uh, i'm sure pretty much everybody can relate to this but it's like primary school recorder like 30 <laughs> plastic recorders uh, sounding out of tunes playing like hard cross bands or something. Oh, uh, it's seriously, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, like, it's one of that, those that's things. A, that's a terrible memory. I think the, I, re, I distinctly remember remembering uh, almost not pursuing music because of that. <laughs> well, that's what I was, was going to say. It's almost a reason not to. You go, you go, think, oh, I like music. I really want to enjoy it. I really want to learn it. And then you go into a, a room full of, you know, nine-year-olds playing hot crust buns on a recorder and it's like ear piercing and, yeah. I, I don't know why they do that with recorders. Surely there's got to be a better way. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but I'm glad it was a harmonica and you didn't get turned off music from a young age because um, you're so yeah. good at it. So, you know, as you were, as you were growing up, like, you know, obviously lived in Argentina for a little while. Um, just take us through a little bit of your sort of musical story. Like, obviously, uh, the harmonica was an early memory, but how did you kind of become a musician? Did you get lessons? Were you, you know, what what, what was your process? Well, I did, yeah. I, I got, I, I went through a few things. My The first instrument I ever had tuition with was the drums, actually. I did uh, drum lessons for about a year or something like that, oh. and that didn't stick. And then eventually, I did. Uh, I think I switched to piano. That was my next one. Yeah. And uh, I did that in sort of with the, with the tutor for about like a year as well. And then after that, uh, I got enrolled in a in a in a really good conservatorium in uh, in Buenos Aires. Uh, and then after that, that was like my, the next five years, pretty much. Just at the conservatorium, that was pretty full on, like full on. Um, were you training. doing? Were you doing piano at the conservatorium? Yeah, yeah, I was doing piano, but but it had like a lot of you know uh, a lot of different subjects. You know, like you had your um, your what, what they call music language, which was the music theory, and you know, like oral training and all that. You had ensembles. You had um, uh, you had to write like arrangements and. Uh, and perform all the people's arrangements and obviously you had your instrument and lessons as well yeah and so yeah it was a, quite a quite a broad um what's it called a curriculum i guess yeah and that's one thing i i always have admired about you and your ability to be able to transcribe music super quickly and I, and I imagine that comes from just being immersed in it at the conservatorium in uh, Buenos Aires um, but it's you know it's funny because a lot of musicians go oh, you don't have to learn to read music you don't have to do this or that but I notice with you it's one of the things that make uh, playing often um, quite easy because you can hear something, you can transcribe it, and you don't have to remember it so much. You can look back and just go, yep, I know exactly what I'm doing, exactly where I am. Is that something that you feel like as a skill has really helped you? Um, you know, because you are a bit of a session player, well, um, you know, when there are gigs, <laughs> um, <laughs> when there are gigs, you, you know, you, you pop up in everyone's band and you do little features, you know, with, with me, with Little King and, and a whole bunch of other people. Do you find that, that those skills that you learned at 
at the con were have really helped you? I definitely think I, I they did yeah, but uh, I think every any skill that you have is going to help you get. I know the gigs that are right for you. And yeah. whenever I, I hear people going into these sort of debates about like playing by ear versus having this sort of academic knowledge of music, I always go like, you know, well, like there shouldn't be a fight about it. It's like everything's great. Yeah. Having both, a good year is good. great. You know, knowing how to read and write is great. Like you should do all, all of it if you can. And if you can't, then I mean, every, everybody can. But if you don't want to spend the time, then yeah, focus on what you're interested in and you'll naturally find the gigs that are right for you. Like not everybody can do anything, everything. Uh, I certainly can't and I don't think anybody can. So you'll just find the gigs that are right for you. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. It doesn't really have to be a debate, does it? Because at the end of the day, both skills are useful, whether you can play by ear or you can read, sight read and transcribe. Um, you know, you're lucky enough to be able to do both. Um, you can hear something, pick it up straight away and then transcribe it. And and I, I think that like, you know, just from in terms of memory saving, the amount of time like I've tried to memorize music because I can't read. I'm really ho- horrible at it. I have a really good memory, but th- it takes up a lot of real estate in my brain. Whereas you, I think it, you're so much more relaxed because you you come to the gig with your um, your two pieces of paper that you've scribbled all the notes on, and you nail it every time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, I don't know. Like, uh, there's also this. Uh, I, I always. I also want to de- de- mystify or mythify um, this thing about, you know, like there's all these uh, techniques or, or abilities that some sometimes seem to symbolize, you know, some sort of status in the music community. You yeah. know, for example, perhaps reading is one of those, you know, like some people look down on people who can't read or some people look down on people who cannot, you know, improvise or play outside of the sheet of music. And I really don't feel like that's a very good or healthy way of being you know like i feel like everybody has their own set of skills and their set of skills is very valuable and they have something to say that is valuable and i don't like to create these sort of hierarchies that sometimes seems to appear or this sort of fight for who is better at it <laughs> no absolutely and I, and I think you're exactly right it's one of those things that you know maybe in general i think people are starting to cotton on to this whole idea of like it's this way or it's that way and a lot of people are going well why can't you have your cake and eat it too like why can't you have it both ways hey like for me I I go I can't read music very well I'm trying to teach some of my students now and I'm and I'm literally saying to them as I'm like transcribing I'm so sorry I'm so bad at this (laughs) but (laughs) but when I when I see you do it I totally admire it and it's one of those things that like if you've spent time um honing that craft you should be applauded. You should be praised. It's not like, well, you know, oh, reading music sucks. It's like, really? You only say that if you don't know how to do it. And I think that's the thing. A lot of people are like, well, I can't do it, so it's it's silly. And really, we've got to get past that and go, you know what? Let's celebrate people who do a good job of, uh, of reading it. And exactly like you're saying, you know, you, you'll find the gigs or the jobs or the, or the work that, that um, you've put the effort in. And, and there's a lot of people who are teaching students at the moment how to read music who are going to continue to teach and that kind of thing. 
thing. So um, I reckon yeah. it's awesome. And but yeah, then you know you got all these wonderful um, like songwriting abilities and production abilities that I personally don't have, and that has a lot of value as well. So you know we all put our time and allocate our time to develop a certain set of skills, and they all have value. You know, Absolutely. it's not like you know, my, my skills are better than yours or yours are better than mine. They're just, you know, different. Absolutely. Very well put. Very diplomatic. Uh, were you a politician? Did you run for student council at the conservatorium uh-huh. or something? Definitely, definitely. I was, I was the president of the of the board of No One Cares. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you, you, you've got my vote, Mr. President. Um, so so where where from from there did you go? You, you're at the con in uh, Buenos Aires. Sort of take us a little bit on just a, maybe just a few little t- twists and turns on your journey to Australia and now uh, the north coast of Australia. All right. Uh, okay. So I, I got into the conservatorium when I was uh, 12, 12. Yep. Uh, I think so. I remember uh, like, I th- no, I think it was 13 because it was the youngest uh, age that you could actually get in. Right. Like, and uh, all, 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 it was funny because all the people in the conservatorium were in their 20s. So I was literally the only oh, wow. 13-year-old like walking around there. I, I, I felt quite intimidated <laughs> by everybody. <laughs> and uh, I did it like all, all my my um, lessons. I, I did them after school, after high school. You yep. know, So I would go to high school and then I would go to the conservatorium afterwards. And uh, then my I was lucky enough to to have this um, scholarship for this very good school in Buenos Aires as well, which also had a sort of music, I mean, it had many different sort of specialties for the last three years of, of the high school, and I chose music. So I, I could I could do music there as well with the sort of approach on, on musical production and things like that, which honestly, I, I didn't make the most out of that. <laughs> Side of things, you're you're much better at, produ- at producing music than me. <laughs> but um, yeah, then after that, I finished high school, and um, I don't know. I guess uh, I don't know if it happens as much here, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with my my life at that point. <laughs> it's still, like, uh, I still feel well, that way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what I did after that is that went. To I want to live in Patagonia, and I knew that I wanted to get out of the city. And I went to Patagonia and uh, got in this uh, school that um, that taught uh, luthery, which is the the making of musical instruments. Oh wow! Which I was, quite, I was quite fascinated with. So I went there, and 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 yeah, it was great. It was honestly, it was one of the happiest times in my life. For what I can remember now. So, were you was like studying just how they made different instruments, and did you get to put that into practice as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was completely practical. It was it had a couple of theoretical uh, subjects, but it, they were very little. They were mainly practical. We were all all the time either making instruments or repairing instruments. Oh wow! And, what did uh, you make? We're talking about str- we're talking about string instruments. So, the, my my uh, my instrument for the first year was a harp oh wow like and it was yeah it was cool because the first year we did all like uh, historical instruments yeah so we i did like this sort of medieval harp that was uh, it was quite cool uh, it was very you, you could be very creative with these sort of instruments like i i carved like um it had three parts and the the mass had a um 
like it was dragon themed. So I wow. had a, a big sort of dragon head that I carved wow. that was eating the eating the mask that had a dragon claw that was grabbing the the restaurant you, box. And is, so does it still does that harp still exist somewhere? It exists somewhere. I don't know because they 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 sell it. You know, like they because they give you all the materials. So then they they sold it to buy more materials for the next batch of students. I Fair guess. enough. That's pretty cool, though. So yeah, somewhere somebody somewhere has my my dragon harp, <laughs> and I hope they they're playing it. Absolutely, <laughs> or at least taking good and, care of it. Yeah, but but anyway, that, that was that was great. That was that was a great. Uh, I only did it for one year, and during that year, it was great because it actually wasn't very uh, time consuming. This this uh, this um, this uh, what do you call it um, course. Yeah. So I, but because I was enrolled in this school, I could take as many lessons of anything else that I wanted. So I I. This, well, because I I always been very interested in composing. Yeah. And what I did was I sort of filled up my schedule with uh, basic instrument lessons of pretty much any kind that yeah. I could find. So that year I studied all the strings: violin, uh, viola, cello, double bass. I studied flutes and saxophone. I studied um, medieval uh, medieval instruments. Uh, I, I did drums again. What else did I do? I, I, I was in absolutely everything. It was wow. funny because at the end, and, and at the end of that year, yeah, uh, there was this. You know, you know how they do this sort of performance at the end of the year. Yeah, I was like, I'd literally ne- never got off stage. Like I was in every <laughs> ensemble. I was in. <laughs> and were you, you know, playing was, different instruments on all of them? Yeah. Yeah, it was just sort of. Uh, I, I wanted to see how how each instrument was and what sort of things were easy to play in each instrument, what sort of things were hard. So when I wrote for them, uh, I knew what, how to write. Right, and so out of the instruments that you put your hand to, obviously, you know, it's so hard to say what's the what's the easiest because generally you look at it and you go, okay, well, whatever you put the most energy and effort into was the easiest. But when you'd first started learning different instruments was there one in particular that stood out that you really picked up quickly mm, yeah well I, yeah definitely for me it was easiest things like um like the, the I, I can't remember exactly when when i started the piano but the piano always felt quite uh, familiar to me yeah. and the same thing happened with the saxophone i remember trying to play trumpet for a while and i just couldn't get past the mechanics of the instrument it was just the, the you know, it didn't resonate with the way that I think. And uh, well, the saxophone it was pretty pretty fast. <laughs> the, right. the the learning curve was pretty steep. But I have friends that are, it's exactly the opposite. They grab the trumpet and they just blast the tunes in in and, no time. While while with the saxophone they just couldn't connect. And and so when you talk about mechanics, are you just talking about the way that you understood how, say, the trumpet or the saxophone worked, and the saxophone seemed to make more sense to you? Well, yeah, you know, like uh, the the trumpet works in harmonics. So you basically are, you know, blowing the trumpet in different harmonics and then modifying those harmonics with the valves to create the notes. While the saxophone is working mainly in perhaps two different harmonics and then has just a lot more keys to modify those harmonics. And that just seemed like, a, I don't know, in, in the actual mechanics of 
playing and producing the sound just just res- made it much easier for me to do. Like I, I prefer to just move a lot more fingers than to move uh, just three fingers, but <laughs> right. then uh, do a lot with my with my embouchure. Yeah, you know? no, that ma- that makes sense. It's and it's interesting too because like, I mean, you obviously have that ability given that you went to you, you made and and repaired a lot of music uh, musical instruments and then you went and learn a lot I, I suppose like for you understanding the the mechanics of each instrument is quite important whereas for me I just go how do you do it I don't care at how it works I just want it to sound good <laughs> but, which yeah and, and that works for me it just is what it is I'm like um, you know path of least resistance um, a lot of the time but I would put a lot of energy and effort into it but just I, I'm like I don't want to know how this you know vibrates or you know whatever but you're obviously a little bit different um, and so I suppose like do you take that approach or did you take that approach with every instrument so you, you'd kind of work out how it created sound all that kind of stuff and then you know, try and work your get your head around that as you're as you're learning to play it as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I know. I'm I'm just. Uh, I guess I'm just very curious, curious in nature. You know, yeah. like I just sort of I'm very yeah intrigued about those kind of things. Like oh, you know, how does this instrument work? How um, how does it feel? What sort of sound can you? Uh, make out of it you know outside perhaps the most conventional ways of that people play those instruments yeah i know it's just fascinated to me and and it, it's still fascinating to these days i just don't have as much time as i did then <laughs> no absolutely not well um you know and that's one of the things that like i admire about you is that you do play uh, a lot of instruments and you play them very well and do you do you have a for you, for yourself, you do a lot of composing. You've released music as well. Um, do you have a, a favorite instrument, or do you have like a go-to instrument when you're, say, creating a song or wanting to compose a song? Do you have a go-to? Like, is it the piano? Is it something else where you go, all right, this is where I'm going to create the structure for the song, and then start adding the other parts in? Well, yeah, I would have to say the piano is the ultimate instrument for me when it comes to to, to composing. Uh, or, or figuring out music in general. It's just everything there at your fingertips. It's, it's, it's really quite wonderful and, and scary as well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the more, the more I, I progress, I guess, in my music, um, I mean, my composing, I'm, I'm starting to be able to be, to do things more in my head as well, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. You know, I'm able to just imagine things and know what, the things that I'm imagining are. Can you give and Can I, you give us an example of? Are you talking about melodies or rhythms or like? Give us an example. Yeah, well, to be, I mean, uh, for quite a number of years, I've been able to do that with melody, which is, I, I guess, the simplest way of doing that. But the more I practice, and I'm starting to be able to do that with harmony as well, you yeah. know which is a little bit more complicated and especially if you take into consideration not the type of chord that you're imagining but also the inversion in which you're imagining it or the voicing that you're imagining it with so yeah just uh, I, I, I want to get better at just doing that off instruments just out of the top of my head yeah that's, but, that's yeah, really that's cool. gonna be a long long <laughs> learning curve Oh, and totally. I imagine I'll get I get hundred percent proficient at it anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, well, there's plenty of time, you know. And I mean, that's the great thing too. Like, um, 
And it's certainly one of the things that I see in a lot of musicians is they're always pushing themselves to continue to learn more, whether it's about their own instrument, whether it's about, um, you know, performing live or production or songwriting or learning new instruments and new skills. Like, I, I really admire that. Have you, did you ever see the um, Quincy Jones documentary where they kind of did his, um, Rashida did a documentary on her dad? And um, he was incredible. He was able to compose from memory, from just from his brain, t- like parts for big symphony orchestras. And like even watching him sort of, j- they were just sh- showing pictures of him doing it and then like some was that, short Was that video. Quincy or Quincy's dad? Uh, that was Quincy. Oh, yeah, Quincy is a, is a freak, He's eh? incredible. And, it like, so yeah. the fact that, like, there's so many things mulling around and it's not like playing an instrument. Like, you know, on a piano, you can play, you've got ten fingers and you can play um, up and down the octaves and create the harmony and follow the melody if you want to and whatever, and you can kind of visualise it as you're hearing it. He was so incredible because he was writing it. It was almost like it was ma- it was a maths kind of... Um, uh, an equation, and he was just writing out these long equations that happened to turn into this most incredible, um, you know, musical scores or whatever. Is that something that you have ever thought about where you kind of look at music? And, you know, music is heavily numbers-based. I don't feel like a lot of people um, really realise that. But do you ever think about it in more of an equation sense? And, and it's not to take anything out of the beauty of music, but just in terms of... No, not at all, but there's definitely like a lot of... Uh, mat- mathematics that govern the way that music works, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like rhythm, um, harmony, where where everything is. Oh, that's really exciting. Um, cool. So you know, how about, how about you? Where, where, where are you uh, in, in your songwriting process? Like, what's what's you're talking about? We're always pushing ourselves in our own sort of path. What's your path taking you at the moment? My path path right at this point is like um, sound sound design. And mm. because I listen to a lot of, of great music and I go, oh, I can play that on the piano or I can play that on the guitar or whatever, um, but it, it, and it sounds fine, but it's, it's about creating something that's like really, for me, really distinct. So when you play, uh, you know, a, a G minor seven, there's some kind of modulation, there's some kind of uh, effect or the the EQ that you've got really sets it apart from other guitars or, or if it's on the piano, like maybe it's the sound, maybe you're, you're um, using the tremolo or something and trying to create, um, I guess, different sounds. So when people hear it, they're not just hearing the G minor 7 and going, oh, that's a nice chord. They're hearing something that's like quite interesting, the texture. And so for me, that's kind of where my head's at at the moment with um, certainly with melody and, and, and instrumentation. And then as far as drums go, I really have been I, – I, I don't – you'd know Greg Sheehan. Um, yeah. I had him uh, over for an interview a, few, oh, a month or two ago now, and it was so fascinating talking to him about his techniques with rhythm and getting my head around that was like just, oh, I, I haven't, um, put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> speaking about <laughs> mathematics, eh? Well, exactly right. But I was all, I've also started trying to bring that into some of the rhythmic stuff that like I'm playing and, and um, creating my own beats and whatever. So I'm playing it on the piano or on the drum pad. Um, but using his techniques where you're emphasizing different beats and not going for that classic like 4-4 four, four or four eight sixteen, whatever it is, but emphasizing stuff in different um, whole 
pack it. Oh, that's not the way. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, but, but I, to- I totally get it. And and that's one of the great thing about perhaps thinking about music in this sort of more um, intellectual way is that it can be a great um, means to get away from your perhaps go-to path or, or comfort zones. Yes, absolutely. And and so like when you're hearing like percussion in a song and it's just there's something about it that doesn't sound cheesy or doesn't sound overdone or cliche because you're doing something that's so different and so unique and accenting every five beats and over the course of, you know, whatever it is, 32 beats, that will just be something that will stick out a little bit because you're like, oh, it's not really flowing with the rest of the music but it is at the same time um yeah but it's it's compatible you know? exactly yeah. yeah so that's kind of where i'm at and i, and I really enjoy i'm really enjoying like the sound curation it's a little bit less um organic but i really enjoy it and i'm in my studio a lot so um, it's good fun i'd love to have you over when you know when covid finishes and you're not um you're not super super busy come over and, and <laughs> if, have a session if, if covid finishes if, if COVID, <laughs> yeah well you know, um, speaking of which, how have you survived in the last little while? Um, you know, I mean, you're you're working from home at the moment. Like, what what have you been up to? Yeah, well, um, lucky for me, way, way before the the pandemic ever hit, I already sort of transitioned because because uh, I had a, my little boy yep. to to teaching most of the time. So I already sort of was pulling away from gigging so heavily and just going more into teaching. So when the pandemic hits, then um, it was, I was in a more, much more fortunate situation to be able to, yeah, just perhaps just change to Zoom lessons and, and other than that, keep, keep fairly the same. So yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment, teaching uh, online, uh, trying to help my students to the computer, which is uh, challenging, especially if they're, they're the young ones. You know, sometimes Zoom lessons, I think that the, the worst thing about Zoom lessons is that it, it sort of forces every, everything to an intellectual level, which is yeah. hard on the little ones, you know? Yeah. like um, You can't show them in person something. Yeah, and, and, and the, the second most terrible thing I, f- I find is that because of the lag in the video, you can't really play with them. Yeah. So yeah, it's really I, I'm re- uh, that, that that part I'm really sort of sorry for because like yeah, playing together I think is such an important part of uh, of of uh, learning music. Oh, absolutely! Like you're obviously trying to demonstrate something that um, that they want to kind of emulate and do uh, as well. But I did the same thing. I had um, my all my I just cancelled all my Zoom lessons because I had them last week, and the first one it was like a. If it wasn't going, if it wasn't doing that, it was like this crazy <laughs> latency where, like, I would speak and play, and then my student would, in that time, speak over me and say something, and so, I like, there's just this back and forth where we like couldn't quite sync up, and it's like it's so frustrating. But you know, it is mm-hmm. what it is. Telstra, get your act together and fix the internet. <laughs> um, yep. And and so I guess like you know obviously you've already transitioned so it hasn't been a, a, a crazy crazy change for you, um, but uh, but have you been doing many gigs like so up until about well June really gigs were kind of coming back were you gigging a lot or just kind of taking it easy? I was taking it fairly easy. I could have been gigging a lot harder than I was. I just sort of did, doing the occasional gig here and there mainly mainly for for the fun of it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but but you know, really enjoying the gigs that I had. I had a 
had a gig um, the the day that lockdown started. This oh, that was Saturday, a Scott's was head. It? Yeah, exactly. I was I was gonna play in, in Scott's head with my trio with uh, with Danny Stitch and Pete Skelton. Oh, nice! So I was really looking forward to that, and one hour before the gig, uh, lockdown started. So. Yeah, so frustrating. <laughs> We had to get it. Yeah, and that would have been a great yeah. show. Although I played but, down yeah, there a um, few weeks ago, and um, it was it's awesome. Like it's such a good little vibe um, down there. Oh, Scott's it's so home. such a beautiful venue. I, I love playing in those venues, and it's it's really all all I'm doing at the moment when when I can do gigs. It's just playing in those great venues where you know that that's gonna be that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, you know, and, it, and and my, my hats out to everybody that that has a venue like that and is holding on the fort. You know, like oh, good on them. Absolutely, Jono and Janet, they're like um, contributors to the show. Absolutely love them and love playing down there. It's always so nice. The crowd's always lovely. Last time I was there, it was blowing a gale. I reckon I lost about seven picks because I put them down on my keyboard and it was blowing <laughs> so much. It just kept they kept blowing away. But yeah, such a good little space. And I, I guess that's one thing too. Like a lot of people don't realize, like there are a lot of gigs that are amazing and good venues to play at, but there are also a lot of gigs that are really hard and. Um, you know, the the type of music that you play, um, particularly on your own, you're sort of doing jazz and, and, and sort of stuff that's not your classic pub standard. Have you ever had those experiences where you've been in a venue and people just haven't got what you're kind of throwing out? Oh, yeah. I think we all have. And I don't know, you... I think with with the time and experience, you learn how to deal with those situations. Sure. And then with even more time of experience, you know to see them coming and avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Just say no. If, you can, just if, say you're, no if you're in, in the economic situation of being able to 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 pass on to pass those gigs, you know, yeah. because they're they're often the ones that pay the most. <laughs> Well, that's the tricky thing, isn't it? And it's like if the, the money might be good, but you're you're trying to do something a little bit different, and and a lot of the time people just don't. It's not even that they don't like it; it's that they're, they're not prepared to listen to something new. They want it. They're drinking. They want to hear, you know, something familiar. I guess. Yeah. I, I, I... Honestly, most of the time it's not. I, I find it's not even that. It's just that they're enjoying it, they're doing their own thing, but they're just not giving anything back. You know, sure. You're in sort of this sort of situation where you know they're they're perhaps loving it, but they don't let you know at all. Is you know? that is that an Australian thing? Like you know, ha- having you know, obviously grown up and played music um, in, in Argentina. Do you think that's an a, an Australian thing, or if, is it just a general thing? Honestly, uh, I've. I I have the feeling it is more of an Australian thing. Like I, I don't remember feeling like that in in Argentina, but I was also I was also younger and in a different context. So sure. perhaps that 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 played a, a part on it as well. But um, yeah, I think that, that there is definitely I think something cultural about about Australia involved in that as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel it too, and there's definitely like exceptions to the rules. Like, there's a lot of venues that, like you said, you can go there and people appreciate it, and they show their appreciation by applauding or buying an album or whatever. But also, there is a lot of lot of places where you go, and people might come up to you at the end of a three hour gig and go, "Mate, that was amazing," and you're thinking, <laughs> "What? Well, why didn't you clap at any of the ends of, of of any of the songs and let me know?" And um, and I think you're exactly right. Like, there is something about it where we're, we're I, maybe it's taken for granted or something. I don't know, but I try to um, coax people into clapping now and to get them involved. I'll, I'll sort of, I'll, I'll um, have a little break and I'll be like, oh, 
you know, if you definitely and and not not just not just the clapping. Sometimes you know, just them looking up from their table and sure. smiling at you. Yeah. You know, that a lot of times that's enough. You know that they're there, they're listening. Because if you are like me and you know, like any other professional musician, you've heard yourself, you know, over a million times. You know, you're not there to listen to yourself. You no. don't find yourself that interest at interesting at that point. You're there to share all the sort of you know experience and knowledge that you've you've during that time and all you know all the music that you have to to share and if you're not sharing it it's a bit it does feel a bit pointless doesn't it oh absolutely and i think that's one of the things particularly with performers like who you know there are there are musicians that are at people who work from home they're studio um junkies and they love to produce music and and, and do all that kind of stuff but there's a, there's the other side of music music where people love to perform and like you say they don't love to perform for themselves although I'm, I'm sure some do um, but, they, <laughs> but they love to perform to engage and connect with an audience and whether it's people listening and smiling and clapping or dancing but are responding and engaging in some way and so it's nice when you do play to an audience who are like great song or get up and dance or you can see them tapping their feet and engaging with you in some some kind of way. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, uh, art of any form is, is you know, the languages and, yes. and the purpose of a language is to communicate. So if you're talking by yourself, you know, you're going to feel a little, a little bit silly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, what's happening with Pablo Blitzer music at the moment? You know, you, you're teaching. Last year you were dropping tracks. You you, you put out some beautiful instrumental tracks. Um, uh, have you been writing lately, composing, um, you know, recording? What have you been doing? Well, I've been writing a little bit. I haven't been as productive as I used to be. I think I'm just sort of taking this opportunity to really pull back a little bit and and reflect a bit more and spend more time with my son and, um, yeah, try try to um, perhaps tap into the next... uh, stage in my my musical writing I, I i do feel like when i when i when the the writing burst comes back it's going to be quite different than it was before Ooh. and at the moment i'm arranging i have this idea in my head i don't know if, if it's going to work but i'm gonna certainly try uh, i want to write a, a new album with uh, my jazz trio you know, piano, double yep. bass, and drums, plus a string quartet. That's wow. sort of the sound that I want to explore. Explore, and I've been I've been arranging a couple of my of tunes that I've already have in in that uh, for that ensemble. And yeah, there's some interesting sounds that are happening. So I want to want to explore that a bit more, and if I can, make a show out of it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, the stuff that you put out last year was incredible. I remember um, uh, you were talking about, was it The Sage? And you wrote that about um, uh, the piano, the first piano you had or something like that? I can't yeah, remember. yeah, the first piano, like actual upright piano I've ever bought, which was here in, in Cosabria. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and it was such an incredible track. With instrumental music, like, it's always interesting because I like as a as a songwriter and a producer like I always try and and convey a particular mood when I'm songwriting so from from the production from drums and keys bass guitar and and sounds and effects to the vocals and the melody I'm always thinking of conveying a particular type of mood with your instrumental stuff what's the process of like trying to 
like you said, music is language. So what are you trying to say or, or and what, where do you draw inspiration from when you're writing an instrumental song? Well, I'm quite fascinated with imagery. Mm. You know, like um, when I write something, you know, I'll often like come across like a, like a short snippet of what the song is going to be, you know, like the seed of, of the song, something yeah. that caught my interest. And that can come in different ways. I can be walking down the street and suddenly a melody pops into my head. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And then when I get home, you know, I play it in the, in the piano and, and it goes from there. Or sometimes I'm just, you know, just, just mucking around on the piano and, 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 and I stumble onto something. Yeah. Uh, but when I do, I often think of, you know, what, what, what image sort of provokes in me, you know, what sort of story can I imagine from, from this? Yeah. You know, and once it does, I just sort of need to let the story unravel itself. And how, you know? how do you, how do you do that? Like I, I, I'm, and I'm curious because I just, I find the songwriting process so, um, fascinating. How do you unravel a it story? Is, without uh, the... I, I think it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? It's like, it's so elusive. It's, um, it's mysterious. I, or at least I feel like it should be mysterious because the, uh, the, the moment you, you get a grip on it, then it becomes sort of, um, manufactured and then it's not nearly as uh, meaningful, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'm um, I'm personally try to try to keep it um, try to keep it um, mysterious. You know, try to not. I mean, there's definitely like a lot of techniques that I've developed over time to develop songs and you know arrange songs and so on. And I'm sure that's the same thing that you have yeah. done. But then I tried not to use them as much as I can. Interesting. You know, instead of that, I tried to, I hear what I have, like, let's say I have like a, you know, four, eight bars of the song, you know, I play them and I will play them again. And then I would stop playing and I would just sit there and imagine, you know, where does it want to go? Yeah, that's awesome. So I I try try to let the song tell me instead of me imposing on the song, where could it go? Because it could go in a million different ways and I can, you know, do, you know, half of them from a theoretical point of view, but I don't like the results when that happens. Yeah, that's interesting. Like I, I kind of fully feel that about like stopping playing and sitting and listening and sort of sitting with a track or an idea. And I often find myself playing a track or, uh, or playing a, a piano progression or whatever and recording it in and just letting it play for a little bit and then just stopping and sort of thinking about it. Um, and I think there's something quite cerebral about doing that and kind of envisaging where you want to take it in in its production. Um, but also, ha- when when you say you don't, you could go theoretical, but you don't because you don't like the results. What is it about the results that is there? Is there a plane, plane, or something flying in the background? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, helicopter. They're, they're, they're helicopter. Me. Oh dear, look out! Um, what is it about, like, when you've created a song where you've kind of just used systematic theory or whatever, and you get to the end of it? What is it about that particular song that you don't like, or you you, you struggle with a little bit? Well, um, I guess you know, like, I'll, uh, 
let's take the example, for example, of um, of music in all time signatures. You know, I've been quite fascinated with all time signatures, and I've been trying to write in all time signatures for quite a long time now. Mm. And when I was researching it a little bit. I, I stumbled across this uh, interview by one of uh, a pianist I really like called Shy Maestro, and he talked about um, he talked about going, you know, when 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 Avishai Cohen, a very famous uh, double bass player, sort of took him under his wing. So he's the first time they 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 met. The, uh, Avishai invited him to his house, and he played. As, as soon as he got in, he played him this song that he's just written on the piano, right? Yeah. Wow. So, and uh, uh, Shai, the, the pianist, was listening to this song, and the first thing he thought is like, oh, what time signature is this? I can't put my finger on it. So, as soon as Abishai finished, he asked him, you know, what, what time signature is this song? And, and Abishai sort of looked at him and said like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, Avishai is a is very you know intellectual and, and and knowledgeable musician. What he meant wasn't that he couldn't figure it out. It's, it was that he didn't think that way. Wow! You know, yeah, yeah. when somebody writes a song in seven four, you know, or a, or a, I don't know, you know, let's, let's say eleven four. I don't know, something something a bit more um, out there. And um, they're writing it and say like, oh, I'm going to write a song in eleven four, right? Hmm. Um it sounds like somebody said, I'm gonna write a song in seven in eleven four. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It, it, it sounds yeah. it sounds it sounds forced, rather than it right? coming just naturally. In, instead, you actually need to realize that you try to fit most of your ideas in the normal four four or you know any other sort of normal time signature that we are accustomed to. Yeah, you're actually fitting your ideas in those format in these formats more often than not. So all you have to do is really break free of them. So when I write something, I don't wanna. I want it to sound like oh, I wanted to write something this way. Yeah. You know, when I enough. when I let the song unravel itself, I know it just feels very natural, and it's it, it doesn't. It almost feels like it's not coming from me. You know. Yeah. I so mean, I'm, awesome. I'm 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 definitely more more entertained by it. You know, <laughs> it's not, it's not my it's not my idea, but but it's just something that I found. You know. Well, I think it's a really you know it's a really interesting um, path to take, and I think you're right. You're very intentional about um, you know what you want to achieve, but also in the same way allowing the idea to 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 develop itself without you. Maybe maybe imprinting is not the word, but kind of forcing your preconceived ideas to fit into a particular um, outcome. Whereas what it seems to me that you're saying is that you like to start with the idea and let the idea kind of take you on the journey rather than have the end goal in sight. Does that make sense? Totally, man. Yeah. I think that's much more interesting approach to me at this point in, in my life. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love it. Um, dude, well, thank you so much for your time. We're sort of wrapping up to or for the end of the uh, interview. But just quickly, what um, what's on the horizon? Obviously, you said um, you're going to put together that little uh, outfit with Pete Skelton and Danny Stitt and the String Quartet. Is that Have you got a timeline on that or is that just at the moment just uh, a concept or...? I'm trying to set myself a timeline for the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would be able to stick to it. But uh, yeah, 
uh, hopes are that by the end of the year, I'll have at least that uh, already arranged, ready to be played, hopefully beginning of next year. Awesome. And for the, in the meantime, um, you know, if gigs are happening or whatever, where can in people... In the meantime, I, I hope for more, more gigs for Little King. Oh, me, cool. me too, man. We just <laughs> haven't been able to... Um, Get get it together at the moment. There's a lot of there's a lot of places that aren't putting bands on. Like I was lucky enough, and you probably did a few solo shows last year um, during COVID. If you're on your own, people tend to one be able to afford you more, and two they like the idea of you not creating a scene of people dancing and doing all the naughty naughty <laughs> naughty naughty COVID things. But um, oh man, I'm 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 a hundred percent so keen for that. I got a whole bunch of new music as always. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone every who doesn't two, know, every two weeks you have a whole new set, don't oh, you? Pretty much. For anyone who, <laughs> who doesn't know, Pablo plays saxophone with Little King, and um, and every gig that we play, which is not very many, is probably like one or two a year if we're lucky um, together. <laughs> I, I usually spring on in like twelve or thirteen new songs at the gig, and I'm like, yeah, just you'll just roll with it. It'll be, it'll be fun, um, <laughs> and it always works out well. Even though probably it's not the best course of action to take when I'm trying to make a show good. Um, <laughs> and where can people find you? Like your your music's on Spotify. Um, you know, is it just just Pablo Blitzer on Spotify? Um, you're not very socially active on social media, are you? No, I have to say I've been very slack lately, and it's not it's not my cup of tea. You know, um, self promotion, uh, social media, and all that. And I've come to accept that uh, at least at this time. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to find me, I'm definitely out there, uh, but I won't be parading myself no, around the, don't the media. Send, don't send them a message. <laughs> Um, that's awesome dude thank you so much for your time Um, glad we could make this happen and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon likewise best of luck thanks bro